0: Hello and welcome to the Lore of the Cards podcast, episode 2C, Gul'dan, Betrayer of the Orcs. The podcast that uses Hearthstone as a vehicle to unpack the dense and sometimes complex lore of the Warcraft universe. First things first, sorry it's taken so long to get this final part done for Gul'dan. In the future, I plan to keep all characters, even the big ones, to two episodes. Unless I do a project like the Dragon Saga, telling a large story over the course of a long time. That way, it'll be easier for me to bring episodes to you faster and not stay too long on one character. It also doesn't tie me down to not writing shorter episodes if I'm really busy. Releasing the Dragonhawk episode while still halfway through Gul'dan felt a bit weird to say the least. Not to mention, the ordering is going to be super odd on iTunes and Spotify now. Ah well, we all make mistakes. Let's get into the episode, shall we? Just a quick reminder for you all. The forces of Stormwind found out Medivh was responsible for summoning the orcs, and as a result, attacked the Guardian. Gul'dan, desperate to discover the location of the Tomb of Sar'garis, entered Medivh's mind to find the location, while the Guardian fought his attackers. Gul'dan found the location, however was still in the Guardian's mind when he was slain. The shock of this sent Gul'dan reeling and the Orc was put into a coma. And that's where our story begins this episode. Gul'dan lay in his coma for weeks in a cot with thick fur wrapping his body. Cho'Gal stood over his master a majority of the time, and the ogre was present as Gul'dan sat, bolt upright, gasping for air. The orc demanded to know where he was. A pleasantly surprised Cho'Gal explained he had been asleep for some time, while ensuring his master was drinking water to rehydrate him. The two-headed ogre confessed to Gul'dan many had thought he may die. With a wicked grin, Gul'dan said, Do you now? Were you afraid I would leave you, Cho'Gal? Abandon you to Blackhand's tender mercies? It was now the orc's turn to be surprised. Blackhand is dead, said Cho'Gal. But before the ogre had a chance to explain, four orcs barged their way into Gul'dan's tent. Upon seeing the warlock awake, two of the orcs strode up to him and manhandled Gul'dan out of the tent. The warlock was far too drained to defend himself with magic and he would have lacked the physical strength to break away from these orcs either way. Gul'dan was thrown at the feet of Blackhand's replacement. Once, the old war chief's second Orgrim Doomhammer now led the horde. With Gul'dan unconscious and Blackhand still scattered from his failed siege on Stormwind, Doomhammer saw this as the perfect opportunity to strike and begin the process of restoring the Horde's honour. He challenged Blackhand to Gorah, a traditional Orcish duel to the death that if refused would cause great dishonour. After defeating Blackhand, Doomhammer knew there was no going back for the Horde. They still had a war to win, and he led a successful siege of Stormwind, claiming it for the Horde. This victory was partly thanks to Gul'dan. During the siege, Garona sought an audience with King Lane, which the King granted. However, being rattled by the fight with Medivh, Gul'dan's earlier command to kill the king returned to Gorona's mind, and this time, she could not resist what she was being commanded to do. She slew the king, tears streaming down her face as she desperately tried to resist. And without their wise ruler, Stormwind fell. Victorious, Doomhammer began the process of purging the darkness that had infected the Horde. He was able to find where the Shadow Council hid and butchered a majority of the Order, leaving only the unconscious Gul'dan, Cho'Gal, and a handful of neophytes that Doomhammer promptly had chained. Realising the near hopelessness of his situation, Gul'dan began to cower before the mighty Doomhammer. The power he had once held over the Horde was completely gone, and Doomhammer was clearly set on taking the Warlock's life. Before Orgrim's mighty hammer connected with Gul'dan's skull, the now helpless orc begged for his life. Somewhat shocked and amused by seeing the mighty Gul'dan beg, Orgrim allowed him to speak. Despite a burning hatred seething within Gul'dan, he kept control of his emotions. He knew Doomhammer would look at any excuse to spill his blood. The warlock pledged loyalty to Doomhammer, disavowing his masters in the Burning Legion, claiming they had betrayed and abandoned him. The war chief was rightly sceptical, but Gul'dan pointed out that the humans of Stormwind had had powerful spellcasters and the Warlocks had been the Horde's defence against them. Now with the Warlocks gone, the human spellcasters could rip the Horde apart. Doomhammer needed him. Reluctantly, Doomhammer spared Gul'dan's life and in exchange Gul'dan promised to create a host of creatures that could stand against and crush the human magi. When Guldan was alone, a familiar voice rang within his mind Kill Jaden. The demon came with more instructions, not to seek vengeance against Doomhammer by killing him. Doomhammer had succeeded where Blackhand had not, the Horde needed a leader like him in order to conquer more territory, unwittingly preparing Azeroth for the Burning Legion's invasion. If Gul'dan followed, further power would be granted to him. While Kil'jaeden did intend to reward Gul'dan, the Warlock no longer trusted his benefactor. He had been abandoned by them for years. He had grown tired of being an expendable pawn. Gul'dan feigned obedience, but when the opportunity arose for him to claim the power within the Tomb of Sar'Garis, he would abandon the Horde and foil the Legion's plans. To reach the tomb, Gul'dan required loyal allies an army to protect him from the rest of the Horde when he finally abandoned them. The Warlock convinced Doomhammer to grant him permission to form his own clan, the Storm Reavers. Gul'dan told Doomhammer that this would mean all of his actions were visible. He would not be able to keep his affairs secret as he had done with the Shadow Council. Like any other clan, Gul'dan and his followers would be forced to fight on the front lines. What Gul'dan actually sought to do Was to use the clan to increase his influence and power within the horde. Doomhammer was no fool and could see through this. However, he was confident he could stay one step ahead of Guldan, so granted the Warlock his clan. Orgrim would place spies among the clan to keep watch. Guldan's reputation had been shot. The horde had turned against him and the use of fell magic. Doomhammer knew if the Warlock was to make an impact on the war. He would need a clan of his own. With assistance from Chogal, Guldan began to create his warriors that would stand against the human magi. Guldan was not one to squander an opportunity. He would ensure that these new creations would ultimately be loyal to him rather than Doomhammer. While the War Chief had killed the Shadow Council, their spirits remained intact. Gul'dan was certain that if he brought his followers back from the dead, they'd be forever grateful to him. Both Cho'Gal and Gul'dan set about gathering the disembodied spirits of the Shadow Council warlocks. Gul'dan would also need vessels for these spirits. The First War had left so many dead. So the Warlock's first consideration was to use the corpses of Orcs and even Ogres. With some additional thought, he knew the Horde would not stand for this desecration of their honoured dead. However, the Horde's traditional fervour would not be extended to the corpses of humans. Gul'dan would combine the Shadow Council spirits with the corpses of Stormwind's Great Knights that fell during the war. With foul magic now outlawed, Gul'dan would seek to raise a host of powerful necromancers from the dead. Cho'Gal and Gul'dan committed several bloody rituals to reanimate the corpses. To unleash the necromantic energies required, they sacrificed the necrolites that remained from the First War. Gul'dan considered these spellcasters an interesting experiment, but they had not proved as effective in combat as he had hoped, to their detriment. The necromantic energies coursed through the corpses, binding the Shadow Council's souls to them. The aberrations that rose from this experimentation would be called Death Knights. They would be capable of raising the dead, boiling the flesh of the living, and sacrificing a portion of an ally's life energy to make them invulnerable for a brief time. This was just a small taste of their power. These creations sickened Doomhammer. The Death Knights were unnatural and housed the souls of those responsible for destroying the Orcs' homeworld. He could not deny their potential, though, and these new warriors did not use Fell. Their magics would not destroy the world around them as a byproduct. He accepted the Death Knights into the Horde. The longer he waited, he would lose the element of surprise against his next target, the human kingdom of Lordaeron. All Doomhammer needed to do now was replenish the Horde's dwindling supplies and armaments. He did this by invading the territory of Karsmadan. This resource rich territory was soon theirs, driving the dwarves and gnomes that populated the area into hiding. The fastest route to the Kingdom of Lauderon would be through the wetlands. A swampy and treacherous mire. It would be a gruelling slog, transporting siege engines and an army through that terrain. After navigating the wetlands, the horde would then come to the Thandol Span Bridge. This would be an easy location for the humans to defend effectively. The humans would likely expect the Horde to take this route, but Doomhammer refused to do the expected. He instructed the Horde to build ships. They would take the humans by surprise, by sea. This plan did not sit very well with a lot of the orcs. They were not a seafaring people and some of the more superstitious clans feared the open seas. To Doomhammer's surprise, Galdan and his Storm Reavers proved instrumental in persuading the other clans to follow along with Doomhammer's plan. The warlock and his clan told the rest of the horde that it was the best course of action and the voyage would be safe. Crewed ships were constructed by the Ogres, who had some seafaring knowledge, and the Amani Troll Tribe, a new ally Doomhammer had recruited during Gul'dan's coma. Further allies were also recruited to the Horde at this time. The Goblins of the Steamweedle Cartel provided new technologies, maps and information to the Orcs. They were also accomplished shipwrights. For the right amount of coin. Before their invasion of Lordaeron, the Horde had also been able to enslave the dragon aspect, Alekstraza. The Dragonmaw clan had accomplished this truly impressive feat by using an artifact they had discovered and had dubbed the Demon Soul. The aspect was forced to lay eggs, birthing young dragons the orcs would ride into battle. Dragons that did not obey the orcs risked submitting their queen to excruciating torture or death. The humans became aware of the Horde's plans, scouting ships, spotting the crude fleet. Rather than relent, Doomhammer sent his fleet straight away. The humans would not have time to muster their full strength before the Horde reached their shores. The orcs made it to the shores of the Hillsbrad foothills, relatively unscathed. They had been beset by human ships, but luckily the dragons were able to deal with them and push the humans into a retreat. Doomhammer sought to march through Hillsbrad and strike at Lordaeron's capital city. The humans had anticipated this, but were in disarray, only just managing to muster a defence to combat the Horde. This was the first time others of the Horde were able to see the destructive power of Gul'dan's death knights a fetid fog spread out across the battlefield, raising humans that had been slain from the dead. The undead launched themselves at their former allies, striking them down. Doomhammer watched on with a mix of displeasure and satisfaction. He did not like how the Death Knights operated, but their effectiveness was undeniable. The humans have been preparing for the orcs as well, forming an alliance of the human kingdoms and getting some support from the dwarves and high elves. One of their greatest and newest weapons at their disposal were the paladins. Holy light radiated from these warriors, striking down the undead. Thanks to the paladins, the alliance was able to fight the horde to a stalemate. Doomhammer knew the longer the Horde spent in Hillsbrad, the more time the Alliance would have to call reinforcements. So he took a different tact. Part of his promise to the Amani Trolls was to free their leader, Zul'jin. Doomhammer made good on that promise and won Zul'jin over. To do this though, he promised to attack the territory of the Trolls' mortal enemies, the High Elf Kingdom of Quel'Thalas. Not entirely what Doomhammer wanted, but he knew he would need the trolls on side to stand a chance against the Alliance. Gul'dan accompanied the Horde on their treacherous journey to Qualthalas. So far, Gul'dan had been spending a majority of his time building on the information he had ransacked from Medivh's mind. He researched further into powerful artifacts and discovered their locations. He kept much of this information a secret, but did share his findings with the Death Knights. Gul'dan did not have the time, though, to break away from the Horde during the war to go in search of these artefacts. Nobody did. The Horde decimated the Quel'thalas' outer holdings with relative ease. However, it was observed that both the Death Knights and the Amani Witch Doctor's spells were not as potent as they had once been. Guldan discovered the source of the magic dampening barrier that surrounded the Elven Kingdom. With Chogal in tow, Guldan excitedly approached Doomhammer with his discovery. This did not put the war chief at ease, but Guldan said the discovery would help the Horde greatly. He escorted Doomhammer to the location. Forcing a gap in between the trees was a monolithic stone, runes covered its surface and power radiated from it. Soon, the reason for Gul'dan's excitement became clear. He asked Doomhammer's permission to experiment with the runestone so that he may harness the power for the Horde. Doomhammer knew better than to give the treacherous warlock free reign to experiment. He asked Gul'dan what he intended with the stone. The warlock wanted to dismantle it and with the bricks and slabs created, construct an altar, which he called an altar of storms. Gul'dan would then be able to channel the energy of the stones into the Horde's soldiers, transforming them into far more powerful beings than they had once been. Gul'dan did admit though this may lead to some disfigurement as well. The war chief pointed out that Orcs had a severe mistrust of Gul'dan. Doomhammer doubted Orcs would let Gul'dan experiment with them a second time, like when they drank the demon blood and became slaves to their bloodlust. Gul'dan gave a wicked smile. He assured Doomhammer he would not be using Orcs, but creatures that would benefit from even more strength and wouldn't notice any reduction in intellect. Ogres. More strength is what the horde needed right now, so knowing Gul'dan's plan, Doomhammer was happy to give permission for the warlock to experiment. Gul'dan was provided with a small workforce of ogres to help shatter the stone and construct the altar. The intelligent Cho'Gal was able to easily direct his vastly inferior kin in the construction of the Altar of Storms. As always, Gul'dan was doing this to benefit himself, not the greater good of the Horde. During the last few months, the Warlock had been gathering power. He now held dominion over two powerful clans, the Storm Reaver and the Twilight's Hammer Clan, led by Cho'Gal. He had also been able to win over the spies that Doomhammer placed among the ranks of the Storm Reavers. Promises, power, threats and other means meant they were now loyal to Gul'dan. The Death Knights though, had not been as loyal as Gul'dan had hoped. The revived Shadow Council were loyal only to themselves. They fought alongside the Horde because it was in their own best interest to do so. With the Altar of Storms, Gul'dan hoped to create soldiers that would give him the strength needed to break away from the Horde and seek out the Tomb of Sargeras. Gul'dan would have an army strong enough to keep away the force Doomhammer would inevitably send at him to punish the Warlock for his betrayal, long enough for Gul'dan to claim the power of the tomb for himself. One of the kingdoms conquered by the Orcs on Draenor was the Hymal Ogres. The Hymor had an ancient ritual for transforming the lesser of their kin into powerful, two-headed ogre magi. Few knew this ritual, and almost all who had known the secret had perished. But Cho'Gal knew it. With help from his apprentice, Gul'dan hand-picked the ogres to undergo the transformation and channeled raw arcane magics into the Altar of Storms. It was an absolute success, the Ogres becoming as powerful as Gul'dan had hoped. More importantly, these Ogres secretly swore undying loyalty to Gul'dan, giving the Warlock a force strong enough to break away from the Horde when the time was right. With the destruction of one of the many runestones that surrounded the Elven Kingdom, their magical barrier no longer dampened the magics of the Horde. Orgrim's forces stormed towards Quel'Thalas's capital, Silvermoon, terrorised the countryside, pillaged settlements, and killed every elf they found. The Alliance came to the aid of the elves, and with that the elves joined the fold, but the orcs seemed unstoppable, as their army had now been enforced by Red Dragons in addition to the Ogre Magi. The elves had no physical weapons that could stop the Horde, so pulled back to their capital. Here, elven sorcerers summoned a giant barrier to encapsulate their capital. No matter what the Horde threw at the barrier, weapons, magic, or even the flaming breath of dragons, it would not give. Doomhammer's frustration deepened. The Horde was wasting their time here he pulled his forces back and ordered them to march west. It was time to attack Lordaeron's capital. The roads and valleys between Quel'Thalas and Lauderon were an easy route to take, but as a result, they were well fortified. Orgrim would once again do the unexpected, taking his army through the rugged Alterac Mountains, which would give the element of surprise. Zuljin declined Doomhammer's plan, the Trolls' hatred burned so strongly for the Elves, they would not abandon their siege on Silvermoon. This was troubling and infuriating. Doomhammer had come to rely heavily on the Armani to guide the Horde through a land that was not familiar to them. Losing the Trolls would spell doom for the Horde. Gul'dan was able to convince both Zul'jin and Doomhammer he had found a way to destroy the barrier. As the runestones were also a product of the Sunwell, a magical font of energy the elves were attuned to, which Gul'dan likely learned from Medivh's mind, the warlocks surmised he would be able to use their power to rip through the barrier. With the aid of his clan the Stormreavers, Gul'dan told the two leaders it would likely take a few days for their work to bear fruit. Once it did, the barrier would come down and the trolls would be able to sate their lust for vengeance and rejoin the Horde. Doomhammer was loath to leave more of his forces in Quelthalas, but Guldan's words swayed him. The Alliance forces were scattered. Now was the perfect time to attack Lauderon, and Doomhammer could not let the opportunity slip through his fingers. The Warchief left the Stormreavers to unravel the barrier. Still not trusting Gul'dan, Orgrim ordered the Dragonmore clan to keep watch over the Stormreaver, and if the barrier was not down in three days, the Dragonmore would force the Stormreavers to rejoin the Horde. If Gul'dan resisted, the Dragonmore had permission to feed the Warlock to one of their war mounts. Doomhammer took his force west. The Horde navigated the mountains far more quickly than the Alliance could have expected, partially due to a betrayal from one of the human kingdoms, Alterac, which granted the Horde safe passage. They began to batter Lordaeron's capital city. It seemed the Alliance was living on borrowed time. They fought with ferocity, but as soon as the Orcish reinforcements came from Quel'Thalas, Lordaeron would fall, and the Horde would win the war. But reinforcements never came. Doomhammer became worried. He had heard nothing from the Storm Reavers, Twilight's Hammer or the Dragonmaw. While Grimm's unease deepened when he saw Alliance reinforcements coming from the east. He knew he could still win the war, but it was dependent on the forces still stationed at Quel'Thalas. Only a few days after the Horde had left the Lordaeron's capital city, Gul'dan gathered his allies and revealed his plan to seek out the Tomb of Sargeras. He bribed all those that followed him with the promise of immeasurable power, far more than what the Horde could provide. This swayed the opinion of most members of the Twilight's Hammer and the Storm Reavers. The Armani trolls were completely disinterested, choosing to focus on destroying the elves. The Dragonmaw were also not swayed by Gul'dan's poisonous words, even moving to bar the Warlock's path. However, if the two forces clashed, they risked mutual annihilation. The Dragonmaw left the traitors behind and sought to join the rest of the Horde to warn Doomhammer. Gul'dan's forces moved south, encountering little resistance. A few humans dared stand in the warlock's path, but they were easily dispatched. The traitors arrived where the Horde had first made landfall, the Hillsbrad foothills. They commandeered several vessels from the fleet and sailed to the west. The Dragomor arrived at Lordaeron's capital city with dire news. Gul'dan had abandoned the Horde. Doomhammer had had certain victory snatched away from him because of one orc's reckless quest for power. The Horde was now doomed to lose this war. Orgrim would not let Gul'dan dishonour his people and get away with his treachery. The Horde went into full retreat in an effort to salvage their campaign but Doomhammer sent the very powerful Blacktooth Grin clan after Gul'dan and Cho'Gal to punish them. This would mean the Horde were far less likely to salvage their position, but Gul'dan had to die for his dishonour. The Blacktooth Grin arrived at the ships not long after Gul'dan had sailed to the west. The clan boarded the rest of the vessels and gave chase. It was not just Doomhammer that had been betrayed by Gul'dan. Kil'jaeden too became aware the warlock had abandoned the Horde. The Legion needed the Horde to be successful to prepare Azeroth for their invasion and without Gul'dan's forces they seemed doomed to fail. Surprised and incensed by Gul'dan's betrayal Kil'jaeden began preparing to annihilate his former servant but the leader of the Legion. Sargaris stayed his hand. Sargaris didn't just want to annihilate the warlock. He wanted to wait until Gul'dan was within an arm's reach of his goal of true power and then snatch it away. The last thing Gul'dan would see before he died would be what he could have been. Gul'dan's voyage to the tomb's location was long and harsh. Eventually, the ships arrived. The tomb wasn't there. But this did not surprise Gul'dan. He knew the tomb lay at the bottom of the ocean. Gul'dan led his followers in a ritual, weaving his followers' magics into a single immense spell. The sky turned dark and the ocean churned as the tomb slowly rose from the depths. The towering monument stood upon a barnacle-covered island. The spell had only just finished when the Black Grin were visible upon the horizon. Gul'dan knew he did not have much time. His forces were not enough to defeat the Black Grin, but with the tomb's power, Gul'dan would be able to crush them. The warlock instructed Cho'Gal to hold the line along with his Twilight's Hammer Clan, while Gul'dan and the Storm Reavers entered the tomb. Gul'dan and his followers raced through the tomb's corridors as quickly as they could. It was not long though, until they discovered the tomb was not abandoned. The tomb of Sargaris also acted as a prison for several demonic creatures that over the millennia had broken free of their confines. They patiently lurked in the shadows, and upon Sargaris's command struck. The demons claimed Gul'dan's followers, one by one, tearing them apart. As the warlock traversed the tomb, his followers being torn away from him, Gul'dan documented his journey upon the tomb's walls using his own blood. The most excruciating death was saved for Gul'dan. He was flayed alive, skin and muscle being torn from his bones while his screams of pain shook the very foundations of the tomb of Sargeras. Only a few of the Stormreavers survived, fleeing the tomb. Before they did, they claimed their master's head, believing that it held great power. Upon the island's shores, the Twilight's Hammer clan had been obliterated the Blacktooth Grin either killing the clan soldiers or leaving them to die. Before the Blacktooth departed, they claimed Gul'dan's skull from his followers to prove their victory. The Horde would lose the second war, but at least the warlock, who had sold out his people for power, and whose betrayal cost them dearly, had paid with his life. Despite his death, Gul'dan's dark shadow loomed over Azeroth for years to come. His followers were right. Gul'dan's skull became a powerful channeling totem for demonic energy. A small portion of Gul'dan's soul also remained within his skull, whispering to whomever held it. A portion of his memories remained as well. The location of the tomb of Sargeras and many other of Azeroth's great artifacts were contained within. After the Second War, much of the Horde was pushed back through the Dark Portal. They would not survive long on the dying Dranor. Nerzul rose to lead these survivors, and concocted a plan to open portals to other worlds that the Orcs may conquer. Gul'dan's skull was recovered, and used in the opening of these portals, and later used by the Alliance Mage Khadgar to seal the Dark Portal. This prevented the chaotic energies created by the portals from spilling over into Azeroth. Energies that utterly tore Draenor apart, morphing it into the world of Outland. Khadgar and his allies would be stranded on Outland for many years to come. Later, the Burning Legion somehow got their hands on Gul'dan's skull, and it was used to corrupt a large portion of woodland that would come to be known as Felwood during the Legion's second invasion of Azeroth, the first happening 10,000 years prior. The skull's demonic power would be absorbed by the demon hunter Illidan Stormrage. This turned the night elf into a part elf, part demon hybrid, empowering him enough to defeat the legion general Tychondrius. The woodland would heal in time, but Illidan's transformation would see him banished from the rest of his kind. Illidan kept hold of Gul'dan's skull and could even be seen cradling it when heroes stormed his bastion in Outland, the Black Temple. Illidan had been using Gul'dan's memories to gather artifacts and power to one day defeat the Burning Legion. But at this time, Azeroth's heroes did not know this, striking down the demon hunter. Gul'dan is remembered as one of Azeroth's greatest mortal villains, and to this day is likely considered the most powerful mortal warlock to have ever lived. Well, that was until Gul'dan, the very same orc from a different timeline, who would surpass the main timeline warlock. However, that is a whole other story And I'm going to finally finish this episode with the end of the main Timeline Gul'dan's story. I really hope you've enjoyed the story of the Horde's Great Betrayer. If you did, then you should absolutely help this podcast out. Give it a review on iTunes and follow it on Spotify. If you're listening on YouTube, give it a like, share, subscribe, and anything else I've missed off the list of things you now need to do to actually be shown the content of a channel on YouTube. I'm also playing through Warcraft Reforged right now, so why not give it a look? Along with any other content I feel like posting there. Instead of the usual beastery section, before wrapping this episode, I'm going to give my two cents on Gul'dan, what I think of him as a character, etc. To be honest, despite Warlords of Draenor not being the best expansion, I was really glad it brought Gul'dan back as a mainline villain. I've always enjoyed just how out-and-out evil he is, There is never any remorse for his actions, and more often than not, he comes across as a slimy, scheming creep, while also coming across as a phenomenally powerful badass. However, Gul'dan being introduced in the Warlords of Draenor expansion saw his past quite heavily retconned. In my opinion, not for the better. Gul'dan was not from some unknown clan. He'd always been a part of Ner'zhul's Shadowmoon clan, And was the chieftain's apprentice. Kil'jaeden did not approach Gul'dan first but Ner'zhul. When Ner'zhul started to doubt the Horde's benefactor's intentions, Kil'jaeden pivoted toward Gul'dan. I personally loved this as it made Gul'dan seem an utterly despicable orc. He had grown up in this clan, held a high position, befriended its chieftain, yet was still willing to sell them out at the drop of a hat What an actual dick. The Unknown Clan story arc tries to make you empathise with Gul'dan that his evil was born from abuse. Sometimes people are just evil and I found the previous approach to Gul'dan a lot more satisfying because of that. The Unknown Clan arc also says Gul'dan was born deformed. This is another retcon. Gul'dan has always been physically weak for an Orc, but he was still perfectly able-bodied before the release of Warlords of Draenor. Now, I'm not denying this makes the new Gul'dan's design look extremely cool and badass. The hunched over figure with giant tusks coming out of his back, yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. But there's something about the root of Gul'dan's evil being a disability, after all this is why he gets abused, that does not sit right with me. To be honest, I'm probably reading way too much into that, but that's just my opinion. Either way, I'd still put Gul'dan pretty damn high up on my list of favourite villains in Warcraft, probably even top five material, and also pretty high up my list of favourite characters in general. In short, it's good to be bad. Next time, we'll start to look at card lore from the latest expansion. I hope you're ready for the ashes of Outland content. There are some great lore characters being added to the game with this expansion. Until next time, bye bye.